0: There we go. Good evening, everyone. It is, uh, it's wonderful to see your faces and yeah, I'm, it's, a, it's a privilege to speak to you tonight. As you can see, I think they're busy setting up the communion for us. So towards the end of my message, we are going to go into a time of having communion together, which is always something to look forward to because when we come to church, when we come together as a church, you know, we should always remember that it's centered around the person of Jesus. It's not for friends primarily. It's not for information primarily. It's not for singing songs. It's coming through and to the person Jesus and the rest being an outflow of that. He needs to be the center of everything we do. So when we take communion, it helps us to remember that everything we do and the reason we are here is because Jesus died for us and he still intercedes for us actually. He's still um, interceding for us. So you can put the title of the message, up, because it is actually something that I'm going to speak about tonight. It is the centrality of Jesus and the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. And I'm going to explain what that means now. We'll get there. You're going to have to hold on a little bit. That's wonderful. Did you hear that? Oh, it was just Carla and I. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was like a white noise and suddenly it's gone. That's wonderful. Um, so I'm going to get to Jesus interceding for us in a minute. And I always thought when I read the scripture, we're going to get to the scripture that this means that jesus is is continually praying for us now that he 's not on earth anymore he's with the father he's praying for us, but though it's not exactly what it means, and I want to get into the nitty gritties of what it actually means that when we are here that Jesus is the one that intercedes for us, but before I get there, I want to quickly uh link something to last week's message and I want to do it by way of illustration and I think I used this illustration a couple of weeks ago at the six p m service if I used it here, then Please just still pretend it's funny, okay? Just, just pretend you you haven't heard it. But I use this illustration of um of the fact that all of us have very subjective emotions, meaning some days you feel on a high and some days you feel on a low, and that's not e- it's something that we can always control. Women especially struggle to. That's <laughs> that's just. Some people, Nordin's not laughing at me, so I'm I'm anyway. And <laughs> I'm carrying on, I'm carrying on. I'm brave. I'm brave. (laughs) I'm scared. (laughs) But all of us human beings, our emotions are very much up and down. And and some of us pretend that we've got it all together, especially us guys sometimes wanna be strong and courageous and say I've got my emotions under control. But but many times our emotions fluctuate. And I want to prove that to you. And I want to prove it to you this way. Whoever you've ever asked yourself the question, Am I an attractive person? come now, man. Be honest. There's a couple, of, a couple of honest people here. For the rest, we'll pray for forgiveness after the service <laughs> for your sin of lying in church. <laughs> but I'm sure that all of you, at some point in your life, you've wondered whether you are an attractive person or not. And that's a really difficult question to answer. Because what I've found, and this is the illustration I might have used, is some warnings, this is just me, but I want to hear if you are anything like me. Some mornings you walk past the mirror and you look into that mirror and you're like, oh, damn fine. That looks, <laughs> that looks quite good. Anyone ever felt that? You look into the mirror and you're like, wow, that's actually, why am I still single? I don't understand. <laughs> why are the ladies not drooling when they walk past me? You've wondered that, okay? <laughs> no, I, I've never wondered that. I'm just asking if you've wondered that, okay? <laughs> and then some, some mornings, be honest now, say mirror. Nothing's changed. Same person. You walk past that mirror and you think, oh, man. (laughs) Anyone? (laughs) Okay. Same mirror. The mirror has not changed. Same person. You may be a day or two older, but that, I'm I'm telling you, that's not such a big difference. But, But you'll find that when you try and answer that question, because that question is based on your emotions that are subjective, it goes up and down. Who have you ever... Looked at a photo, maybe on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you look at nowadays, or a video of you dancing on TikTok, and then you and then you think, Whoa, I look so good on this photo or video. Anyone can be honest, you're like, This is one I can show my children one day. <laughs> You've thought. And then some come to a photo and you think, Oh my aunt, that's just so horrible. And I want to say to you, there's no such thing as photogenic. That is really how you look sometimes, just to break it to you. <laughs> It's really how, how we look sometimes, but, but our emotions fluctuate. I, I don't know, Karal, do you have that photo? So here's a photo of, um, of Bernard with the, the red at the top left that just <laughs> led the service, all right? Oh, shame, eh? So just imagine, Bernard, I found this somewhere. I had to go searching. Oh, yeah, you are. I had to look on your dad's Facebook to find this. I couldn't, I couldn't find so Shane Bernard sits with this conundrum, am I an attractive person or not? And then, <laughs> and, and he's trying to figure it out because him and Danielle, it's going serious now and like, just want to know, will we have attractive children? It's a question, right? <laughs> and so Bernard, top left corner, who just helped lead the service, then he looks at this question, at this, and he's like, oh, am I an attractive person or not? Now, come on, whoever you think he's attractive when you look at that photo, Come. <laughs> Can I come? Be honest. Do you think's so? oh shame, man? Time has been so good to him, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do you get the point here, Shame? I think he's a cute little boy there, man. Oh, <laughs> you can take the photo off. It's okay. Well, we won't embarrass him further. But you know, we sit with this conundrum. If I ask a question like that, it's it is a be honest. It's, sometimes it's a difficult question to answer because our emotions are up and down. All right, you with me? It's very up and down can't answer it like that. I can't even ask my mom. She's also going to say yes always, but that's its also not true because she's an emotional being. I can't do that. All of us are subject to our emotions. And some questions in life, when you try and answer it, if you try and answer it based on emotions that are very subjective, it's going to be really difficult. And I want to say before, let me explain it this way. Last week, James preached at the 4 p.m. service we just worshiped, which was wonderful. Uh, it was like God was just really in a special way and We didn't get to the preach, and and those of you who were here, it was just a wonderful time, actually, of God coming into the service. And at 6 p.m., James preached about the love of God that I want to encourage you even to go listen to. It's online. Really good message. But I want to say, if we come to this question of the love of God, and, and I had to ask you, and you had to ask yourself, does God love me? I'm sure that if you were brutally honest with yourself, there are some days that you wake up, And you feel the love of God on you. You feel loved. You feel accepted. You feel like a good Christian. You feel like you're floating on the clouds that day. And God is just so close. And then some other days, a day or two later, nothing changed. Same person, same bed, same room. You stand up and you think, I just don't know if God loves me. Feel far from him. Anyone ever experienced that? It's the fluctuation of our emotions. So how do we actually answer the question of God's love? What do we do to solidify it in our hearts and to actually teach ourselves what to answer when our emotions go like this? What do we do to regulate our emotions when it comes to God? And, and I want to say one of the primary, one of the ways that I want to teach on tonight or this afternoon is I believe that if you've got a firm understanding of what it means that Jesus intercedes for us, that will be like an, an anchor that when your emotions go like this, you can hold on to the fact that Jesus intercedes for you. I'm going to explain it to you now. It it sounds complicated, but I want to look at what it means that Jesus intercedes for us. When you understand it, that will be, Hebrews 6 speaks of an anchor for the soul. This will be like an anchor for your soul. You'll wake up one morning and you'll just feel far from God. And I want to come to the place tonight that when you wake up in that place, that you can speak to yourself and say, Jesus intercedes for me. Therefore, I can know that God loves me. Therefore, I can know that I'm accepted. Therefore, I can know that he hears my, he my praise. Nothing based on your emotions. Because I think we're a generation of people who are so, so tied to our emotions. And if we sing a nice song that hypes up our emotions, then suddenly we feel closer to God. If the worship's a bit that, then suddenly we feel far from God. And that actually means there's an overdependence on our emotions. And we need to learn to unhitch from our emotions and say, what is the truth? And I want to say the truth, when you come to those questions of faith, is that Jesus intercedes for us. So what does it actually mean that He um, intercedes for us? Well, the word, um, I just actually, I want to take us to a scripture in a moment, but the word intercede means, the word inter, it's broken up into two, the Latin of the word intercede, and I'm going to look at what the Greek word actually where it's used in other parts of the scripture to help us make sense of what it actually means that Jesus intercedes for us. But it literally means the word inter means between, right? This is interdenominational, inter schools. It's between two schools, right? It's between. And then the word sederi means to go. So it's literally to go between. So when the scripture, I'm going to read a scripture to you now that speaks about the fact that Jesus intercedes for us, it's it literally means Jesus goes between. Okay, where does he go between? He goes between us and the Father. He goes between. Jesus is the one who goes between. So let me read you a scripture. And I'm going to link it to what I said about the love of God. And how it makes a difference, this objective truth, that Jesus goes between us and the Father. Romans 8 verse 34, but then we're going to jump quickly. I'm going to read it in a different order because I want you to, to understand. First, verse 38, if you can go there for me. We'll read about Jesus interceding for us now. 38 speaks about the love of God. So let's just go there for a moment. Again, subjective. It's it's an emotional thing that I understand the love of God because love many times is an emotion also that that you experience. It's not primarily that, but it also is. Listen to what Paul says. For I am convinced. Just say that with me. Convinced. That sucked, actually. It's my fault, not yours, okay? Let's try that. One, two, three. Convinced. speaks about convinced. The convinced is, is emotive for me. It means I know it in my heart. I really know it. And, and the question we're going to get to is, how does he know? But anyway, he says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor, the any, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus I don't know about you, but I want that type of knowing in my heart. That nothing can separate me from the love of God. But I'm not like that. Just, I've got a way to go to be like Paul. Sometimes I feel like angels and demons, like they pull me away from the love of God. Sometimes I feel like there's a chasm between me and God. And, and if you're honest, I think many of us do. But Paul had this conviction in his heart. So let's see at... um. Why? Where this conviction came from? Because his conviction about the love of God came from the fact that Jesus intercedes for us. I'm going to look at that scripture now. So let's read verse 34. So we're just going four verses earlier. Before he speaks about the love of God, what does he speak about? He says and listen to this. He, he's stating a few objective truths. This has nothing to do with his feelings. The other one is more feeling based. This has nothing to do with feelings. He says, who then is the who condemns? No one. Listen to this. This is objective. This is not based on your feelings. Christ Jesus, who died. Jesus died on a cross. That's objective. That has nothing to do with your feelings. It's not like one day I feel like Jesus died on the cross, the other day I don't, and then he climbs off of the cross and climbs back on. It doesn't work that way. Jesus died on the cross. It's objective. More than that, was raised to life. That's an objective fact. We can get into the details of that, but these extra biblical resources that actually confirm for us that those people really saw Jesus being resurrected it's an objective fact nothing to do with these feelings Jesus who was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us so his conviction about the love of God came from the fact that Jesus died when he was on earth he was resurrected Going off of the earth, and where is he now? What is the third thing that he solidifies his emotions on? Now he's not dead on the cross anymore. He's not just been awoken from from death anymore. Where is he now? The Bible says that he is interceding for you right now, and he he, he put that as his foundation. Jesus is the in between between me and the Father right now. Now let me explain this to you because I think it can get very um, foggy and technical. But I want to explain it to you out of my own life and, and Carla's life, And she gets nervous when I say these things, but it's, it won't be that bad because <laughs> I have told this story before. When, <clears throat> just to understand what, what this actually means. So Carla and I, uh, we got together, I can't remember what year exactly. And we dated for uh, pff, uh, 10 months, I think. And at that stage, you know, I'm charismatic. So by four months of dating, you should be married already eh, in charismatic churches. <laughs> So can't wait that long. We're, we're yeah, we're in Josh chain, man. Uh, this is just a joke. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> is a joke. But 10 months, and I thought, I thought, shucks, we should, we should get engaged now. This is, 10 months is quite a long time. We should, we should do this. And I was quite nervous. I remember still sitting with Rulof one day. We had pizza. Rulof is here somewhere. And I said, just, yes, man, I'm nervous, Right can we go sleep in a cave one evening? I just want to settle my nerves. And we actually did. We went up into the mountains, slept in a cave. I was yeah. I was nervous, but I'm like, come on, I'm a good charismatic. I'm not a bad charismatic. I need to do this, right? <laughs> just kidding. And I went to her parents and, and here's the mistake that I made. I did not pre- prepare her parents for this. So I just said to them, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be in Wellington for like half an hour. Can I quickly pop in at your place and just come say hi?" I didn't prep them. I thought I just want to spring it as a surprise because I'm scared her mom tells her and I want it to be a surprise for her if I ask her to, to get married. And I go and I speak to them. In my mind, I'm speaking to her dad, right? And I ask, is it okay if I marry your daughter? And I see the shock, right? They're not charismatic. <laughs> so... I see the shock on his face and he's like, Yeah. <laughs> you know, if a guy speaks with that eye voice, you know. <laughs> says, yeah. Um, says, yeah, if my daughter trusts you, then then I trust you. Yeah, yeah. Um and her mom her mom taps and she says, Listen, you're not coming to speak to the dad, you're coming to speak to the parents. This is this is a two-way street. And uh and she says, Ah, oh, just Leonard, we don't know you that well yet and Whatever, and it's a bit of an awkward conversation. So I've sort of got a yes here now. What do I do? Day or two later, Dad comes through to Stellenbosch, and he says to me, uh, "Can we grab a coffee?" And I say, "Yeah, sure. Let's let's grab a coffee." And he sits down and he says, "Listen, my wife and I spoke, and maybe I was I was a bit quick in my answer. We actually think it'll be good if Carla just moves from Swellendam, three hours away, where she lived, just live in the same town for two, three months, and and then you can get engaged." So. I'm not saying no forever, but for now I'm saying no. So I've got it on my CV that I received a no when I went to ask parents, okay? <laughs> I received a no. We, I mean, we're standing here, we've got our third child on the way, everything worked out, it's beautiful. <laughs> but it was difficult, I I received a no. Now, later on I received a yes, obviously. We're sitting here, still the love of parents, everything worked out. But, but I want to explain something to you. <laughs> if, for instance, that was a make or break thing to me. I felt in that place like I wanted and I needed to honor her parents and I'd be willing to wait because what, what will a couple of months do? It's good, it's fine. I'm going to honor her parents in this process. They love the Lord. Let me listen to them. But if it was a case where I really needed to get married to her, where there was a strong conviction, where I felt the Lord really saying that I needed to get married to her, what I would have done if I lived 50 or 100 years ago, what, what they did in the old times is they had an intercessor, And an intercessor was basically a person that would be the go-between between between me and her parents. It would be someone that speaks on my behalf to her parents that both of us can trust. So then her parents don't need to trust me because I'm young and I'm in love and they feel like I'm too emotionally involved. And they know that they are emotional maybe about this thing and they want advice. So we find a middle ground. We find someone that that can intercede, that can go between us and can take my, what I'm feeling through that person, or through those people, and they can take it to her parents, so that they can get an answer. That is someone who intercedes. It's an intercessor. Does that make sense? Godfrey, you guys can help me a bit. With Labola, that's how it works, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's, the, it's Labola. <laughs> so, I, I know Godfrey and them, they he spoke to me about Labola. In, in, in their culture, you would have someone that would go and speak on your behalf. That person Those of you who know that culture of Labola, that person is your intercessor. They go on your behalf between you and that person. And if you pick the right person, then you've got a bigger chance of succeeding than if you pick the wrong person. (laughs) Now, the beautiful thing we're going to look at Scripture now is the Bible then teaches us that when we come to the Father, we come as broken people. We come as emotionally involved people, very much up and down. But the Bible teaches us that Jesus is now the one that I don't even—I never go directly to the Father. Jesus is my intercessor. He makes intercession for me. Everything I do, every request I make, I don't make on my own behalf. Because I were, if I were to make it on my own behalf, it would not work. I make it through Jesus to the Father. That's what it means, that Jesus is my intercessor. So I'm going to look at um, a quick biblical example to help you understand this. Just to, I want to just get it in because this is the same word in the Old Testament, this word intercession or intercessor found in the Old Testament in Genesis 23 verse 8. A little bit of context here. Abraham wanted uh, to buy a burial site and the people that he was going to go to, he knew that if he spoke to them directly, it would not happen. So then he said um, he's going to get an intercessor to speak on his behalf because he didn't just want to buy a tomb and they offered him a tomb. He wanted more like I don't just want this I want more therefore I need an intercessor because I'm not going to be successful trying to do it on my own Genesis 23 verse 8 and it says he said to them if you are willing to let me bury my dead then listen to me and intercede with Ephron son of Zoar, on my behalf meaning please you go and speak and when he did that he was successful in his request and I think we I don't want to Drop these bombs too quickly, but I think so, so. many times we forget that we don't. We don't just come as we are before God. God never looks at us as we are. He looks at us through Jesus. Actually, He looks at us through His Son. It's His Son speaking to Him, and let me tell you, He listens to His Son more than He listens to you. And so we come through His Son, and this is an example of that. Let me give you an amazing uh, example in the Old Testament as well, in First Samuel. Uh, Sometimes in the Old Testament you get this thing, you call it a, a messianic piece of scripture or you get messianic psalms. What that means is it is a portion of the Old Testament that is a picture of Jesus who is to come. So it, it shows us a little bit of what will happen when Jesus comes to earth, when he dies on the cross. We see these glimpses of Jesus right through all the, throughout the Old Testament. It's beautiful. And here's a beautiful one of what it means when Jesus intercedes for us. And it's quite a lot. It is um, 10 verses that I'm going to read to you. But I'm going to stop at some points and just emphasize it. So it's not good preaching practice to read this much. So please uh, just follow with me as I as I read through it. It says in verse 2. What translation do I have? NIV. The Ark Remained. That's wrong. Oh no, it's right. Okay, I'm just from the... <laughs> From the second part. Well, I've got NIV and you've got NIV. Okay. All right. Uh, The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Asherites, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bowls and Asherahs and served the Lord only. That's in a sense what we do when we come to the Lord. We put away all of these other things that are important to us. It's like I'm not just accepting one new God into my life. I'm throwing away all the old gods out of my life. The God of money, the God of sex and drugs and drugs and rock and roll, the God of being a good person. What it is, I throw all of those things out and I say, I don't want to live for any of those things anymore. I only want to live for God. That's what's happening here. The people come and they say, we want to live for God. We want to throw away the old things. We want to live a new life. Then Samuel, the prophet said, assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. Meaning, cool, you want to come before the Lord? I will go and speak to him because he trusts me more than he trusts you. Okay. Samuel here is a picture of Jesus, sort of. Uh, I'll show you. It, It goes even deeper than this. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. They gave an offering to the Lord. On that day, they fasted, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistine came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord, our God, for us, that He may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. So again, this is this is we come to Jesus, but then still there are attacks on our Christianity. You've ever found that? Like Jesus, I want to serve you with all my heart, but it's so difficult. Anyone, Just me, all right, so no, some of you, it's so difficult. there's still these attacks, these these enemies coming against me and and i'm I'm crying out, Jesus, please keep interceding for me. And it's so beautiful. Look at this prophetic picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus came to do. Then Samuel took a suckling lamb. that Jesus is the lamb of God. It's a picture of Jesus. And sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf. He interceded for them with this lamb. And the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to the point of Beth-kar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Okay, I'm going to bring that all together. These people... Us come before the Lord and we say, Oh God, I want to serve you. I want to put him away my old life, I want to serve you. And then there's still attacks, and it's still difficult to serve God. And and I know that I need to cry out to Jesus to say, Lord, intercede for me. I'm coming before you. And then there's this prophetic picture that when we understand that we must come through Jesus to the Father, when we understand that He intercedes for us, He is there to listen to our prayers and bring that before the Father then we gain get victory over the enemies in our lives. Then those attacks of the devil in our mind, in our hearts, in our flesh, then those things will not have power on us if we learn to come before God and say, before Jesus, and say, please, intercede for me. I want to read you two more scriptures as I, as I start to end. Did you start to end? Did you hear that? <laughs> I'm just <a laughs> Okay. Hebrews 7, verse 23 to 25. So listen to what it says here. Therefore, Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him. You don't just come to God. You come to God through Jesus because he always lives to intercede for them. Okay. So you do know this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us That I am not perfect, but Jesus is. That I am flawed to my being and my inner being. I'm born in sin, but Jesus lived a perfect life. Know that even if I try my very best, I can never attain to the uh, the righteousness of God. But Jesus did. He lived a perfect life. Jesus never had to die. He never had to. He was the only being that was sinless in his life. And I am full of sin. But then Jesus said, although I do not have to die, although I am without sin, although I have nothing to do to to try and reach God's righteous judgment, I've made it. I've lived the perfect life. Jesus said, I'm willing to take all of your sin, all of your shortcomings. I'm willing to take it on my shoulders. And Jesus went to the cross. And the Bible actually teaches us that as he was on the cross, the father actually looked away. Couldn't bear Jesus in that moment because he he had the sin of the world on his shoulders. It was not a pretty sight. Think of your sin in the past, just yours. Think of your sin that you committed this week. Think of the sin that laid for your life, even if you try your very best. Now multiply that by the people in this room. Multiply that by the people in Stellenbosch. Multiply that by the people in the Western Cape. Multiply that by the people in South Africa. Multiply that by the people in the world. Multiply that for all time, not just 2023. And think of the sin that was on the shoulders of Jesus Christ in that moment. Unbearable. He didn't deserve one of those things to be on his shoulders. But he said, I will die. I will die on your behalf. I will die. I will die. I will take my blood and my blood will cover over you. I will shed my blood when you have to shed your blood, actually. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he says, if you cry out to me, I will give you this righteousness that I have. I will make you new and I will make you acceptable to the Father. And now the fact that Jesus intercedes for us means that I don't come on my own because I'm, I'm a sinful human being, I know. But I, I remind every time I come to, the Jesus, to, to God, the Father, every time I pray a prayer, I do it reminding him of Jesus who is my intercessor. I don't just say like I do, like Father, forgive me for my sin. But if I say that without having a revelation of why he's forgiven my sin, then I miss the point. Why is he forgiven my sin? Because I come through Jesus, because Jesus' blood covers me now. It's like um, it's like I don't even know if this is a good example. I just remember this example now from years ago. It's like if if this is Jesus. And this microphone is me. Just pretend all of me was in there. Okay. Not just pretend this was not there. You're not seeing this. It's it's an optical illusion. All right. (laughs) When I come to the Father, I don't come to him like this. Oh, God, please give me a new car. Or like, Lord, please help me to succeed with my exams that I didn't study for. I don't do that, right? (laughs) I don't do that. I remember that when I become a Christian, my life is now hidden in Christ. I'm hidden in Christ. And I remind the Father when I pray to Him, I remind Him that it's not my prayers, but Jesus intercedes. Jesus is like the middleman between me and the Father. And every time I want to go to the Father, I remind Him of this. Remind Him of the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me. I say, thank you, Lord, that I can enter your presence. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for me. Thank you, God, that you love me. Why? Come. <laughs> because Jesus died on the cross for me. That's an objective truth. My feelings don't matter here. Thank you, Father, that I am accepted and that I can come freely to you. Why? Because Jesus intercedes for me, He died on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, that I can confidently approach your throne. Why? Because it's a simple answer. I'm not trying to catch you out. Ilana the only one answering. All right. <laughs> because Jesus died on the cross for me. He is my intercessor. If I don't come through him, I don't come at all. Right? So when we pray and we pray in Jesus' name, there's a reason for it. It's not a magic word you say at the end of your prayer and then it works. Right? Give me a new car. It doesn't work. Give me a new car in Jesus' name. Now it works. That's not the point. It's about understanding what you mean when you pray that. It's understanding that uh, there is no way for me to come to God unless I know that Jesus is interceding for me, that Jesus helps me. I come through Jesus to the Father. Last scripture, John, uh, 1 John 2 verse 1 to 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, He has an advocate with the Father. It's the same language being used here. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. It's An advocate, it's like an intercessor. He speaks on your behalf. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. How beautiful is that, that we have an advocate with the Father. When I don't know what to pray, when my words aren't enough, when I am not good enough, which is always the case, Say, God, I'm not good enough, but thank you that Jesus is. Lord, I don't deserve to come to you, but Jesus deserves to come to you. And I am in Jesus. Oh, we need to learn that. If we are Christians that are so floppy because we are so reliant on our emotions, we are going to struggle. But if we remember that everything is based on the fact that we come through Jesus objectively. Oh, it's going to change your life. If you come to a time of prayer, I'm really ending now if you come to a time of prayer and you, you come before God I want, this is like a litmus test for you it's just a test for you to know whether you've got a revelation of this how do you come to God when you come into worship let's say do you come like this oh God forgive me a dear sinner I'm so sorry and I'm like a worm please squish me right where are you going oh you're getting the communion alright <laughs> sorry (laughs) sorry (laughs) Eh? yes 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 (laughs) no how how do you just sorry I'm getting back to the serious point here but how do you come before God take yourself when you came into worship this, this afternoon were you so aware of your shortcomings that you could not enter the presence of God Because if you were, Jesus is your intercessor. Come through Jesus then. Don't come come through yourself. Come and say, God, even though I don't feel like it today, Jesus died on the cross for me. Therefore, I can come. And I don't have to come like this. I can come like this because he washed me white as snow. I can come like this. When you wake up in the morning and you feel bad because you didn't sleep well and you've had a difficult time and you struggle to connect with God, What do you do? Do you just come like, oh, I I just don't, I feel bad, so now I'm far from you. That's emotionalism. It's wrong. Your emotions are leading you away from God. I need to solidify this. You're like, I'm having a bad day, so now I'm having a bad day with God. If you fall into that place, you need to learn to pick yourself up out of that place. Come into a time of prayer and say, God, even though I don't feel good, thank you that Jesus, you intercede for me. You are the middleman, and through you, I can come. And I speak to myself, and I speak to my soul, and I say, come on soul, remember that it's through Jesus that you come, not through yourself. Praise God that we don't come through ourselves. Praise God. We should always be able to get into a place of God's presence. I don't always feel it, but I should always be able to step into that place to say, I can come into His presence now. We should be, like, in a good way, in a holy way, arrogant. Hebrews 4.15, I didn't put it on here. Let me end, end with the scripture. It says, uh, maybe, maybe let's stand as I, as I just speak about the scripture. Because I want you to just, maybe one or two of the worship team, just on keys, or Christian, just on keys can come forward. I want to speak about this scripture, Hebrews 4.15. I didn't plan on speaking about it, but we're going to have communion now. And what you do when you have communion is you say, Lord, here's all of me, all of my shortcomings. But thank you for all of you. Thank you for your blood that was shed. Thank you for your body that was broken. That's what we do. And we pray together and I remind myself of, of Jesus. Before I do that, let's, let's just close our eyes. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Speaking about Jesus. But Jesus was in all points tempted as we are, yet He never sinned. If you think you know what difficulty in this life is, Jesus knows what difficulty in this life is. If you think God doesn't understand, that's why Jesus came. He understands what you're going through. He understands when it's sometimes difficult to come to God. He understands when you're tired. He understands when you're stressed. He understands when you're depressed. He understands those things because he, the Bible says he, he experienced all of those things. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet he did not ever fall to those things as we do. And it says because of that, because Jesus did that, it says let us boldly approach his throne of grace. You can't approach his throne boldly unless you've got a revelation of the fact that I come by Jesus and not by myself. So I want to ask you, can you now even boldly come? Boldly come. Like when my daughter runs to me, she comes boldly. She knows I'm going to catch her. She knows I'm going to be there for her. Can you come in such a way to God? To be unreserved, to say, "I'm Jesus, I'm, I'm t- I know that you forgive all of these things and I can come clean before you because I come through Jesus. So just where you are, close your eyes and just think of whatever it is that might keep you back. From coming boldly to God. Just think of whatever that may be. Anything that keeps you back from coming boldly to Him. And now just pray this prayer. You can even pray it out loud with me. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Who is the in-between, between me and you. I come to you in Jesus' name, covered by Jesus' blood, receiving His righteousness and coming boldly before you. Not because I deserve it, but because Jesus deserves it. And I come through Him. Oh, Lord. Thank you, God. The beautiful thing is that verse goes on and it says, when we come to God boldly, it says we can receive help and find grace for our time of need. Like we can actually come now and ask Him for help for our times of need. So, can I ask you just where you are? Um, if you're ready, let's just, we're going to maybe sing a song of worship and still keep our eyes on God. But the moment you're ready... You do business with God now. Think of anything that hinders you from coming to Him. And when you take that that cup and when you take the bread, remind yourself of what He did on the cross, okay? And then come boldly. So when you're ready, come grab one of those. You can pray with the person next to you if you want. We're going to take five or ten minutes and do that.